very much. Uh, and thanks to everybody who has joined us uh, today for another edition of the Beltway Briefing. We are 23 hours and 55 minutes away from the inauguration of President Donald J. Trump. Um, my name is Blake Rutherford, and I'm joined, as always, by Mark Alderman, the CEO of, I mean, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Howard, Mark, great to be with you, as always. Thanks, Blake. Well, uh, as I said, 23 hours, 54 minutes and counting down to the inauguration of President Donald J. Trump. Um, Blake, don't sound so excited. I am. I realized after I said that that my that 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 I was I was I was beginning to editorialize the unbiased moderator in the tone of my voice. So let me back up. Tomorrow we're going to inaugurate a new president. I'll handle the editorial. Yeah, that's exactly right. So certainly. I want to get into confirmations. We've had a lot of activity on confirmations. Certainly, uh, more hearings taking place today. We've had some big developments over the course of the last week uh, that I want to. I kind of want to drill down on and, and, and get your get your thoughts and, and what it really means, and then look ahead to tomorrow, which is which is historic for a variety of reasons. But before we do that, Howard, I thought I'd start with you. Um, just sort of your thoughts on kind of state of play as as we. Um, as we really close the book on the the Obama administration, um, what are your what are your just general general thoughts about the the state of play in D.C.? Blake, there's there's a lot happening. There's a lot that's been happening in the last several weeks. Kind of eleventh hour type of stuff coming out of the current administration. Some um, political, some because the bureaucracy is concerned that they're going to be unable to do anything after January twentieth after tomorrow. Um, uh, and I think that piece of it is ill-advised, but uh, you know, I think it's it's a wait and see kind of feeling here. There's a there's a there's a view that Trump will govern differently than he's campaigned, and there's a view that he won't. And yeah, and I'll take the view that he won't. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to all that. We'll get to it. So I think <laughs> I think placing markers. <laughs> um, DC still feels like DC. Still feels like home to me, but. Um, but it's uh, it's a wait and see. People are holding their breath. Mark, I you were there, and I, I love tell I love the story about your 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 first meeting with President Barack Obama, then State Senator Barack Obama, which I think is just one of those great political stories that just sort of shows you how what a strange, interesting world all this is. But um, never say never. Yeah, and uh, but again, we are also you know less than a day away from the end of, of his presidency. And it's hard not, I think, at moments like this, especially when you've been as connected to it as, as you have been, not to get a little nostalgic about, about what's happened and what's taken place. What are, your, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it is a very nostalgic time, Blake. There's a lot of saying goodbye going on uh, right uh, through breakfast this morning and some more uh, this afternoon because a lot of people are leaving. A lot of people are leaving government. A uh, number of people are actually leaving, leaving, leaving Washington. So there is the interpersonal turnover, which is very uh, emotional and, and very important to honor. I want to also 
say that for me there is a feeling of enormous pride enormous pride in having been part of the history of the Obama administration but even even more so if I may say apart from anyone's view of his place in history footnote he will be judged far more kindly by history than he has been in the present I think there's already a growing nostalgia for totally. the Obama years and <clears throat> he uh, I expect will be Reagan-esque within the four years of the uh, Trump administration but I am extraordinarily proud of the way that this man and his family are leaving office. Extraordinarily proud of how they came to office, extraordinarily proud of how they conducted themselves in office. But I think that the president is setting an example for the entire country, Republican, Democrat, independent, agnostic, about how to handle with dignity and, and grace and integrity the constitutional transfer of power that is the most unique aspect of of this or any other government in in world history for that matter so a a, a very heartfelt shout out to the Obamas for for showing us how to win and and showing us how to leave they, they would shout back but their tongues are bleeding because they've been biting it so hard so. <laughs> Well, and, and we've, we've begun to hear from from the president a little bit that he, I mean, certainly staying in Washington, um, which is just interesting Weird. in and of itself, <laughs> um, and uh, that that he he probably will will not remain silent if if there's an opportunity for him to speak out. He's already, I think, telegraphed that immigration could be an issue um, where where he might uh, might engage pretty substantively early on if there's some. Some moves by by the Trump administration, as I think many predict, there will be, um, and then of course the issue of race, which he which he has right. said he wants to to continue um, continue to engage um, on that issue as well. So I think it'll be interesting. You know, Howard, I saw a comment from someone that said Barack Obama's a he's certainly a historic president, but perhaps not a consequential president. I wanted to get your thoughts about how to you know Mark Mark's. Mark's argument that that history will judge President Obama far more favorably than certainly he has he has been treated in office, which has been a difficult, difficult presidency uh, for him. But I wanted to get your thoughts. How do you think history looks back on the Obama years? Well, I, my first personal first reaction to that is based on where I was when when they started, which was in the United States Treasury Building, trying right. to. Um, keep the financial system afloat and he was um, exceptional under those circumstances it's not that everything that the incoming admit that the Obama administration did at the time was was perfect and you know I think they threw some folks under the bus that didn't need to be thrown under the bus but he 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 was singing from the 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 right song sheet and did the right thing by and large and Anybody that walked into office and had to deal with that, to me, is a consequential right. president. I think if people say that he's <clears throat> historic but not consequential, I think they say that because, frankly, they're looking at it from kind of a, quote, racial point of view, um, which I think is totally unfair. This is 
a guy who took office, inherited multiple wars, the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. I mean, look, I was a Bush appointee, so um, I'm, I'm certainly not um, defending all the policies put forth by Barack Obama, but um, whether, you, whether you like him or don't like his policies, um, he was a consequential president. You know, it's it's it is interesting because you you both had you both had very unique vantage points um, with which to which with, with which to sort of assess um, you know sort of the the man and we've we've now come to understand this as you know people now describe it as the Obama cool and Mark you saw that when he was <clears throat> when he was beginning this this journey and um, moments before that trajectory just right. sent him into orbit. You know, I remember Charlie Cook, our friend, on Meet the Press when somebody said um, in 2006, 2007, uh, will Barack Obama run for president? And he looked at him and said, how could he not run right. for president? Right. And, and it's so interesting. And then we contrast that with what we're experiencing and what we have experienced over the last, um, well, couple of years now as we think about the long presidential campaign uh, to Trump. But before we pivot to that, Mark, I wanted to See any any sort of final thoughts on, on on the administration or anything you think that we ought to be on the lookout for as as the Obamas exit the White House, but don't exit Washington. A couple of thoughts, sure. Uh, I want to thank Howard as not only a Republican but as a participant in the effort led by President Obama that did save the American and arguably the world economy something for which President Obama gets far too little credit today. I am confident history will take care of that, and probably not too far off. But another aspect, which I know Howard uh, has observed and, and also respects, is <coughs> the scandal-free nature mm. of eight years of the Obama administration. It's that word that I used a, a minute ago. Agree with them, disagree with them, you're for the Affordable mm. Care Act, you're against it. No one can dispute that this has been as long a run of decent, honest, hardworking men and women, public servants of integrity, doing the best they could. You can think they came up short here or there, but I tremendously admire the way in which they conducted themselves as stewards uh, of the country. And that's what you're going to see, I believe, Blake, from Barack Obama out of office. Yeah, he's going to be living around the corner from Ivanka and Jared and whomever else. His daughter's in school here. That's his priority. That's why he's staying here. But he, he is who he is and always will be. He is not going to become the anti-Trump. He is not going to trash the president or the presidency. He has far too much respect for that office that he held. But he is going to be heard on issues and ideas and policies. And I think that's the level on which uh, he, he will engage, and we need him to. <clears throat> and he's got a library to build. And he's got a library to build. Well, Howard... Book to write. Book to write. 
Um, Garden no to plant. <laughs> right. Golf game. <laughs> Golf game to hone. Yeah, sure. All kinds first, of things. First, he needs to get into a country club, but yeah. that's a whole different issue. <laughs> that's a whole issue. other story. Yeah, I, um, I got a good hunch he can do that. I. We are now thinking about and, and seriously <clears throat> beginning to understand sort of the the mindset of president-elect Trump. We have we have heard from he has not been this has not been a quiet transition. Um, he has been vocal on a number of issues, but he's also put forward his nominees for cabinet post. Um, and we've we've begun, we've experienced those confirmation hearings to a to a degree. Uh, some have gone smoother than others, Howard. Um, but I thought we might take stock of the confirmation process at this point. Anything, um, any particular hearing, any anything surprise you either in an expected or, or, or unexpected way um, in the context of what's good or bad for the Trump team? You know, I think they've gone fairly. Um well for for the the nominees <laughs> Nikki Haley was weak and Betsy DeVos was was weak and unprepared unprepared not as yeah just not as well prepared as as they should be Mnuchin's up there today we'll see what happens there um uh but you know I think I think they've done by and large fairly well and and most if not all will be confirmed <clears throat> we yeah, had, we I had agree talked with that. I think yeah. most, if not indeed all, will be confirmed. It's arithmetic. The, the votes yeah. are right. there. I don't know that on some of the more controversial ones, Schumer's even going to hold all 48 Democrats. He may pick up a Republican or two, but getting to 51 against <sighs> is very, very unlikely, I think, with most of these. I think that most of the nominees have not only acquitted themselves well in the process, I've been very impressed by many of the nominees themselves, not just their performance in front of the committees, but these are men and women to a, a great degree of, of substance and experience. There are outliers. Ben Carson is an outlier. Rick Perry didn't even know what job he was accepting. Unfortunately, it's a consequential job. <laughs> but but there are some some men and women of tremendous substance and achievement who are going into this administration. What I wonder about is their relationship with the president elect. Well, that, that's that, that yeah. to me is what this is all about. Some of them have been clear that they disagree. Right. It's not what it's all about. The other thing that it is very much about is whether they understand government. And right. this is not, I mean, it, they are a qualified crew um, in many respects. Um, uh, you would, you would um, trust Ben Carson to open you up and operate on you. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I want to be very clear. But, but no, I wouldn't. He does not understand the United States government. And Wilbur Ross, obviously very accomplished. Steve Mnuchin, very, you know, these are real people. They don't know the first thing about how 
the bureaucracy works, how the levers, what the levers of power are. Um, well, and to that point, just it, on our theme of transition here, Blake, one of the early and I thought very legitimate uh, critiques of the Obama administration eight years ago was who knows how to govern among them. And I think that the Obama agenda was impacted by the fact that it took him and his closest advisors a, a while to figure out exactly what Howard's yeah. talking about. But, but what I had in mind was not so much their inexperience in government, which I yield, Howard, is, is a significant factor. And as I say, we saw it in the early going with the Obama administration. I, I have some real questions about what's going to happen when they go from their department or agency to the White House and talk to the president. That's where this is, to me, very unclear. And I think the idea that Donald Trump, the president, is going to be a different person than Donald Trump, the candidate, Donald Trump, the nominee, Donald Trump, the businessman, uh, that to me is a naive idea. I think we know with whom we are about to have the pleasure here. And I think the success of this administration is going to turn to a great degree on those men and women who are advising the president and their ability to influence his thinking. Because left alone with his phone, this is not going to go well. The, um, I, I would just back on the point about, about knowing government. You know, I think that these, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with coming into government from the outside and bringing that outside perspective. In fact, it's it's really healthy, and it takes any administration six months to get up and running, even under the best of circumstances. One of the reasons I was asked to stay by President Obama in 2009, in 2009 when he took office, was that they weren't ready for prime time right. and needed people who knew what they were doing. Um, but and, and by the way, they did announce today that they're keeping 50 right. um, Obama appointees for continuity purposes. But Which is encouraging. Right, it's encouraging. Again. Here comes the but. Go ahead. <laughs> no, from you. It's going to happen when they get to the West Wing and say, Mr. President, respectfully, here's how we think the government works. Well... They aren't going to do that. They're going to say, Mr. Vice President, respectfully, here's the issue. Help us make a decision. That's the way this is going to run initially. It's not maybe, that it's, maybe, it's not necessarily the way it should run. It may not be the way it runs in a year. In fact, I think it is not going to be the way it runs in a year. But it's going to be the way things run at the beginning. Well, what we have seen, Howard, to date is uh, a, a half-validation of that theory of, uh, of government. Because what has been taking place, we've talked about this before, but, but it continues, and it continues in an impactful way. 
There is a transition in Washington, D.C. of the government of the United States from the Obama era to the Trump era. It is a transition that is being led by Mike Pence. It is being executed by people that Mike Pence put in the responsible positions. And I think you're exactly right that at a certain level, that's why we can have some optimism that there will be a functioning government at 12.01 p.m. tomorrow and that things will continue to operate. There has also been a parallel transition is a word. There are other words up at Trump Tower with the president-elect himself and the press conference and the tweets and the visitors. And that has been unusual. I think, I think that that's all about to be put in the same place, 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. It remains to be seen how that's all gonna fit together and whether in fact there will continue to be the Pence transition and then whatever it is that's been happening at Trump Tower. Well, look, it's, it's messaging. That assumes that President Trump occupies the White House, which is unclear. Of course. I don't mean that as partisan as it sounds. It's unclear. I'm sure you do. <clears throat> sure I do. Of course I do. <laughs> well, we do know. We know his wife it's and, unclear and where son are staying in New York. wife and son are staying in New right. York. We, it's unclear to me where he is going to spend his time and what he is going to spend his time doing. I think, Mark, the bigger issue, frankly, is not who makes the decisions um, when they go to the White House. The bigger issue is um, the rhetoric and and right. what because regardless of who makes the decisions there's no doubt who speaks for the government and that's Trump and the question is is it is he going to continue to speak to his quote unquote base or is he going to speak to the country and the world as a whole um, how's he going to approach this? Is he going to trash his enemies? Right. Well, I know he's going to approach it because we have, if I may just quickly, Blake, we are now discussing the fourth or fifth, I've lost track, pivot for Donald Trump. He was going to pivot from being a birther to being a legitimate candidate for the nomination. Then he was going to pivot from being the likely nominee to being the nominee of the party. Then he was going to pivot from being the president, from being a candidate to being the president-elect. Well, he's 0 for 4, as far as I'm concerned, and he's not pivoting. He is Donald J. Trump. He is 70 years old. What you see is what you get. That was part of his appeal, by the way, as a candidate. And I think the answer to your question is sure, he's gonna trash his enemies, he's gonna tweet, and and you're absolutely right, the tone of this administration has consequences. Well, and let's talk about those consequences in the, in the context of politics, because Donald Trump is coming into office right now, it looks like his approval rating is gonna be at 40%. 
Um, his is it that high? I, I was forty <laughs> two days ago, so we'll we'll yeah, see. But it's dropping. So it's um, but a disapproval rating of fifty four. So he's so he's underwater. No president in the last forty years has come into office with such low approval ratings. Um, he gave a press conference, which uh, well, he stood in front of a podium and spoke to members of the press and lambasted other members of the press while he was he had there. Had a lot of folders, Let's right? A lot of folders. Fair to the record, sure. he brought a lot of folders. But I mean, Howard, do you sense from what we've seen? Look, we've had rocky transitions before, and these it's always kind of bumpy, especially when you're you know when you're when you're shifting from. It was Democrat to Republican. It was worse in 1860. Well, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but do you feel that 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 Trump and maybe we'll see some of this tomorrow is sort of rising to the moment yet? I mean, Mark says no pivots coming, but he will be president of the United States tomorrow, and that dynamic is unlike any other dynamic because every word carries potentially international significance. Yeah. Um, do you sense he's going to rise to the occasion? I think I think he is. He um, I think he understands the enormity of what's in front of him. He, he is who he is, um, kind of as a personality. But I think he he understands uh, what he's gotten himself into, <laughs> something he probably never really wanted in the first place. And I think he. What? genuinely wants to succeed. Where's the evidence of that? And let me interrupt myself to say, I'm rooting for him. He is going to be the president of all of us. He did give an election night speech that I hope he can emulate in his inaugural address tomorrow. He is capable of moments of that sort of vision and unity. And I'm rooting for him. He is the legitimate president of the United States. We may learn otherwise, but as of now, he is the legitimate president of the United States. I'm rooting for him. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence that he is going to actually grow into the role? I think there is a better chance that many around him grow into the role. I'm not sitting here predicting that we get a clown show out of the Oval Office. I'm dubious about the president-elect's pivot, but there are men and women around him who I hope and expect will grow into the role, and, and I hope and expect it will be a more responsible government than what you would expect coming out of Trump Tower. Well, he's, he has said that he understands that there is a difference between being president and, and and running for president. So actions speak louder than words. His actions need to need to show that for sure. Um, you know, I think from so a policy... This poli- is one of those don't listen to his words, look into his heart. From a, yeah, that, that doesn't go too well. But from a, po- from a policy point of view, you know, this guy is not a, a Republican. <laughs> I mean, we had, we had two... Um, we had... Scott Walker here yesterday. We had uh, Bill Schuette from Michigan, the Attorney General. Um, you know, they might as yes, Republicans. They're Republicans. Trump is a quote Republican. It's just a label to him. And I think, from a policy point of view, probably more 
than any president in my lifetime. He actually has the ability to bring the country together because he's not dogmatic. And he's shown us that time and time again. His rhetoric needs to shift to, to match that, I, I, I fully admit. Well, may I just say on, on that point, yeah, yes and no. Yes and no. Yeah, I'm hopeful that his team can get things done, and I think that's what you're saying, that he is not a, well, he's, he's Trump, and the agenda isn't a, an establishment Republican agenda by any means. Hmm. But what is interesting to me about that moving away from the individual and the personality to the process here, there are, as of 12.01 p.m. tomorrow, I believe, not two, but three parties in Washington. Yeah. There, is, there are the congressional Republicans, who are not by any means unanimous, but they are all on one side of the thing. They're the congressional Democrats, same story, not unanimous, but on the other side of the thing. And then there's Trump, as you have said throughout, who is, yeah. not, who is neither a Republican nor a Democrat. And in that fact, there is potential for getting things done. There is also potential for nothing getting done. And I'm rooting for getting Pl things Plenty done. will get done. And as I've been saying for some time, we have here in Washington much more European-style govern governance than, I think, you know, more coalition govern governing than, um, has his historically than has historically been the case. It's, um, you know, even within the Congress, there, even within the Republican caucus, there are different groups with very different philosophies. And, yeah, it's different. Well, I'm sorry, Mark, go ahead. Well, I was going to just ask Howard, okay, great, what's going to get done? What are we going to do with the Affordable Care Act? What are we going to do with tax reform? What are we going to do with the wall? What... What, what's going uh, what's going to get done and what's the is it the same this is my question I don't mean to usurp your prerogative Blake but it's really interesting to me to think about what you just said is it the same coalition that is going to get these things done or are we going to see strange bedfellows and totally strange on the bedfellows bill, you're going to have the freedom caucus and Chuck Schumer and the Trump White House working around Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan uh, one day and then another day, it's going to flip. It's going to be constantly shifting. I mean, I think there are things like infrastructure where Trump is going to line up with the, the Democrats, not the Republicans, and you're going to have the Freedom Caucus pushing back. So it, it, I think it's going to shift depending upon what the issue is. Well, and I, I think... One thing that we'll have to pay attention to, and we've seen some of this, Trump likes to pick fights. He likes to do that in a public way. And he's also a trained counterpuncher, too. So I want to certainly highlight the, the tension that, that we saw between him and Representative John Lewis, who uh, on television said pointedly that he didn't, he didn't feel like Trump was a legitimate president, which... It's an interesting point. We don't necessarily have to debate the psychology of that, but I did want to point everybody. There's a fascinating piece in Politico magazine. They sit down with all of Trump's biographers and and they raise this very question and their and 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 sort of their 
opinion is that that's actually an issue that Trump cares a great deal about, that it matters a lot to him, this issue of legitimacy, which to that me informs whole life. Right. Um, and, and, and it explains a lot of where that comes from. We don't have to get into that on this call, but I did, I did want to make note of that because he responded in a very direct and pointed way um, to Representative Lewis. And, you know, that's just one example, but I wanted to get I wanted to a get your thoughts about about that, but but considered in the context of of when Trump is president of the United States, is he going to kind of get down in the weeds, pick these one on one fights? Do you think does it matter? Does it impede his agenda? Um, I mean, I think the the operative word in what you just asked is responded. Yeah, you know, he didn't pick that fight. Lewis picked it with him, and by the way, he ended up losing, in my opinion, um, because he didn't have his back straight. And because he was trying to out-Trump Trump. And that's a guaranteed loser. As long as, um, as long as, like, Trump is still going to be Trump. And I think he's got to rise above some of the pushback. He can't take the bait every time. And he's got to really, really, really carefully pick his battles. Um, but I think, Mark, you know, your side of the aisle um, is being very uh, foolish in the way they're approaching him. It's, it is, it is, um, it's a, a strategy of, of trying to out-Trump Trump just isn't going to work. And you're much better off, for example, on the Russia issue, for Congressman Lewis to go out and say he's illegitimate, that, it picks a fight. Let the Republicans are investigating the Russia issue. Let the Republicans use the process so and let them right. delegitimize Trump if he deserves to be delegitimized. He, Congressman Lewis, has no clue what happened vis-a-vis -vis Russia. No more of a clue than those of us sitting in this room right now. Just because he's a congressman, it doesn't mean he does. And he should have left it alone. He shouldn't have picked the fight. So, yes and no. Yes. John Lewis, I think, was ill-advised to call Donald Trump uh, an illegitimate president. I think it was ill-advised as a tactical matter, as you are saying, in trying to out-Trump Trump. I think he is wrong, because I believe that Donald Trump is the legitimately elected president, unless and until, and I hope it's never, but it may be soon, unless and until we learn otherwise. I agree. John Lewis shouldn't have done that. However, I don't think he lost the, let's say he lost the skirmish. The war is going to go on for four years. Okay. He didn't lose the battle because the president-elect of the United States debased and demeaned himself in attacking John Lewis. Lewis was wrong. Lewis picked the fight. But this is the president-elect of the United <laughs> States. And for him to respond to something that a congressman said that was ill-advised by burning down Atlanta again. This was like Sherman marching through Atlanta a second time. He burned down the whole city. He took on a, an icon who deserves, just as the office of the presidency, I believe, deserves respect because it is the office of the presidency, John Lewis deserves respect because of his life history and what he has contributed to the country. So I, 
I'm not here defending what John Lewis said, but I believe that the answers, my answers to Blake's question, questions are yes, yes, yes. Is he going to continue to do this? Yes. Is, he, <laughs> is it going to impede his ability to govern? Yes. And whatever the other question is, the answer is <laughs> <Right>. yes. The answer is yes. But don't, I just want to say one thing, uh, don't ascribe a democratic strategy to to John Lewis. That was the question I was that going. Mistake. I think Democrats. Again, I'm citing the president. I think the president, President Obama. That is. I think Barack Obama has been heroic in in not questioning the legitimacy of the Trump election. Given that Donald Trump started his career in politics questioning the legitimacy of right. the Obama presidency, so I'm going to stand up for the current president and at least some Democrats. Well, because he's politically smart enough to know that there are processes out there working that will delegitimize Trump if he deserves to be delegitimized right. and won't if he doesn't. That's fair. And so he's making the politically astute decision not to put his fingerprints on, on anything for his for purposes of his own legacy. And it and, and it's worth it. I mean, he's doing a great job. Well, and but, he appreciates having been there for eight years, the seriousness. That's my fundamental quarrel with what's been happening in Trump Tower. Yeah. This is really serious. You know better than it, I. You it, were inside during the financial crisis. This is really serious. And it is. What people but, say and do matter. Yeah, including boycotting the inauguration. If you're a member of Congress, you should not be boycotting the inauguration. There are 60 some odd Democratic members of Congress that aren't showing up to witness the peaceful transfer of power. Whether you agree or disagree, loathe or love the man, you gotta show up. You gotta be engaged. It's what we tell our clients every day. You may not love the person that's sitting across that you have to go sit across the table from, you have to be engaged. And for these, for the Democrats to protest, to protest by not showing up, to kind of disengage, all they're doing is decreasing their impact, decreasing their voice. Well, that was I was that was you're taking me right to where I wanted to go, which is sort of the the sort of broader Democratic strategy for for dealing with Trump. I wanted to get your thoughts about about the the inaugural boycott. By no means should anybody leave with the impression that the Democrats are the the only people ever to boycott an inaugural. I'm pretty sure some Republicans stayed home when Bill Clinton was sworn in. But be that as it may, Mark, the Democrats are trying to figure out what to do and how to how to manage through. We're starting to see in in the confirmation hearings, you know, people beginning to to test out some themes, you know, raise their profiles. We talked about our our friend Senator Cory Booker doing that, and right. um, we've seen we've seen Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders play big roles in some of these in some of these hearings. Tim Kaine on education, um, and so I, I I wanted to to just talk for a minute about sort of the the state of play for the Democrats, um, and what should they really be thinking about? We we don't have a DNC chair yet. Uh, that process is working itself out. We really don't have a DNC. 
Um, I think we have a political party. I think I think that's right. Um, but um, still registered as a Democrat, <laughs> right? That's right. At the state level. Um, but but really, no. I mean, you because of what what President Obama, soon to be former President Obama, um, is going to go do, and 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 I, I I do think the politeness with which he will. He will continue to engage himself. The party doesn't have a figurehead, although you wrote a great op-ed, which which I've thoroughly enjoyed um, in Politico, called "Unleash the Biden." And what what does Joe Biden do now? And there, so there's a there's a in addition to your op-ed, which I would encourage everybody to read. Um, it is uh, there's also a story in the New York Times where where his his son Hunter is quoted as saying, "If it if it were up to me and only me, we'd be running for president starting on Friday." Um, what do the Democrats do? Well, one thing the Democrats do, as I advocated in the Politico piece, is I do think we should empower Joe Biden to speak on our behalf in a very personal and very direct way and to take on Trump and the tweets, literally the tweets, because leaving the tweets unanswered is, I think, normalizing a medium of communication that isn't worthy of the presidency. I think it is also normalizing the fake news that I believe characterizes a lot of that communication. I think that the vice president, soon to be former vice president, is the right one to take that on. But beyond that one-on-one, mano-a-mano, Biden and and Trump communication, I think, to borrow on Howard's uh, parliamentary uh, analogy, the Democrats need to be the loyal opposition. The opposition, but the loyal opposition. When the Trump administration or the Republican leadership in Congress is doing something that we Democrats believe is wrong, is bad for the country, bad for the world, wrong. We need to fight it. We need to oppose it, and we need to oppose it vigorously, and I hope we can oppose it successfully. But when it isn't wrong, we need to say so. We need to be the loyal opposition. We should not, in my view, adopt the Mitch McConnell scorched earth policy of allowing Barack Obama no success. That's bad for the country and and I don't want to be part of it. I don't think the party should be part of it. What I've been saying to myself and to my Democrat You've had lots of conversations with yourself over the last few months for the record. 70 some days. I'm having one right now actually (laughs) uh, in front of this microphone. And what we have been saying to our clients and to ourselves in our group is, let's just see what this thing looks like in a little while. This is, he's he's still, as of this call, he's still not even the president yet. Let's just see what this looks like in a little while. And I think most of the, the intergalactic conclusions that have been drawn from the election were wrong. I think that any conclusions that we draw now about the next four years will be wrong. I think we need, everybody needs to go to work 
and oppose what should be opposed as Democrats, support what should be supported. And let's just see what this thing looks like because there are those of us, while rooting for the country and, and for the success of the government, who think that this is gonna look like a god-awful mess in six months. And that's a much better time to engage. So Howard, tomorrow, it's Inauguration Day, Trump has put out a picture of him sitting at a desk working on his speech, maybe with a magic marker or something, but uh, be that as it may, um, he, uh, he will give an inaugural address tomorrow and we'll, we'll join history in, in that regard. Um, what are you expecting to hear from him? Unification, um, I'm hoping <laughs> and expecting to hear um, about bringing the country together, about um, economic growth, about um, U.S. power, um, the U.S. role on the world stage, and um, uh, you know, keeping the country safe. Those are the themes that I think he'll hit during during the speech. And then at after he concludes, although Mark, he has said really that his first day is my it. favorite <laughs> Trumpism, Donald Trump in his own words, my favorite Trumpism, maybe since November 8th, but certainly this week, is when he declared that day one of the Trump administration is Monday because, and I'm not making this up, you can't make this up, because Friday is a half day. <laughs> and people will be partying over the weekend. Look, so he intends to get to work on Monday. Look, I was not, as you know, I was not on the Trump train um, throughout the election. But he's going to be the president. And it, we got to give him a chance. And he's put together so far a respectable administration, a respectable, serious cabinet. And... Yeah, we can talk about magic markers and half days, but like, we got to give the guy a chance. And part of giving him a chance, he'll sink himself. Um, we don't have to sink him. And and I think it's a matter of, to your point earlier, Mark, about you know that that you should oppose policies that you disagree with him on. Yeah, all the magic, all the important stuff is in how you do that. And I think um, taking him seriously, um, not treating him like he's from another planet is, is part of that. Um, not mocking him is part of that. Respecting the office, even if you don't respect the man, is, is part of that. And, and going through the legislative process, the bureaucratic process, whatever it is, is part of that. There are he know, people here know far more about how to take down Donald Trump than he does about how to take them down. Um, he has one thing. He has the bully pulpit. I, I just think it's, I think it's really important um, for people to, be, people to give him a shot to, to govern the right way, and then, you know, we'll judge him. And I agree with that. And I have said repeatedly in this call that I believe he is the legitimate president-elect of the United States. I have said repeatedly in this call that I'm rooting for him because he is about to be in less than 24 hours the president of all the people. 
and we have to show respect for the office that our country has elected him to, but he has to reciprocate that respect. And I know Donald Trump is very unlikely, Blake, to be listening to this call. We'll check the <laughs> list afterwards, but he hasn't so far. If anyone out there can get a message to the president-elect, mutual, reciprocal, symmetrical respect is what this country needs. The entire country needs to respect the incoming president of the United States and the incoming president of the United States needs to respect the entire country. The thing is, it and, and, and it hasn't been perfect on our side. It's been far more imperfect on his side. Just as Joe Biden, unleash the Biden, <laughs> as Joe Biden said at one point when the president-elect was mocking the president, uh, President Obama that is, grow up. Really, truly time for this man to grow up. I've got my doubts, but but I'll be the first to stand up and applaud if it happens. He, he was more disrespectful to his, quote, fellow Republicans than he was to anybody. Um, Jeb, and and I, I, I understand, as, yeah, as you would say, it's character, character logic, whatever your word is yeah. that you say. Well, Pocahontas and... Right. Crooked Hillary. I mean, and a week well, ago, the minority leader of the United States Senate's a clown. Yeah, but it's, he, but he is a a, a non-discriminating trasher of people. But then, by all accounts, behind the scenes, when he's not on his Twitter feed, he actually, I mean, he can have a conversation with Chuck Schumer. He's not going to not be able to have a conversation because he called him a clown. Um, and that's Maybe. hopeful. And and by the way, by the way, <laughs> that's what I've been saying for yeah. two years or seventy years, depending on how far back you want to go. For all the um, nice things we said about Barack Obama earlier, um, he did not. He was not good at the behind the scenes stuff with people on the other side. I think. Look. He's obviously got to learn how to govern. He's obviously got to rise above some of the rhetoric. But from a from a policy and kind of behind the scenes point of view, I think this is a much more hopeful um, time uh, than it has been as far as the ability to engage uh, across the aisle where it matters. And so as we as we sort of near the near the end of the call, um, I, I wanted to ask, ask Angela Merkel. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I did. I, I, I did. Howard, want to want to want to follow up on 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 the sort of the day one point. Um, what? Who do you expect to be to be more aggressive, if you will? And I don't mean that in negative connotations. Just in terms of more activity. Do you, are you expecting a um, a a sort of large number of executive orders coming out on day one? Do you sense that Paul Ryan's gonna gonna rush out of the gate quick with with an, a, a tax reform agenda. What do you? What's really? What's really going to happen as as Trump when Trump walks into the White House? I think a series of of executive orders. I think it's going to be um, a review of some of the eleventh hour Obama administration activity, of which there has been um, a lot. 
even more than I think you, you typically see coming out of an administration that's that's leaving. Um, so I, I think, look, I think there are basic orders, executive orders that all presidents issue um, looking, you know, backward dealing with things that have happened in the last administration. It's very typical. I think he'll do all that stuff. He'll freeze regulatory activity. He's going to do some things to make it look like um, where he can, he's either doing away with or putting a freeze on Obama administration activity. And legislatively, it's not, I mean, he may, he makes, may make some announcements, but no, he's not reforming the corporate tax code on, on day one. He'll be lucky if he does that in 2017. Right. Um, really lucky. Uh, so, so nothing, you know, I think the things that we expect. Because, you know, Mark, in, in 2009, you know, with the Democratic Congress, there was a lot of, there was a flurry of legislative, even legislative activity early in, in, in the president's tenure, really rushing to try and get, try and get uh, as much done sort of in that first days period. They sort of set out a, an agenda, sort of a hundred days agenda. And, right. and, and um, so, so um, sounds like we're going to, we're going to be in a bit of a different posture here. I think so. I think that the world's in a different place. Fortunately, President Trump is not walking into the financial mm -hmm. collapse that President Obama walked into. The first thing the president got done, President Obama, as Howard I, I know was part of, was the stimulus bill, which the crisis required. President Trump may be walking into, by the way, a scarier world, but not a scarier economy, at least. But I, I have, over the last eight years, had the, the privilege and pleasure of knowing and talking with many of the people who have been in and out of the Obama administration, the White House in particular, and the one thing that to a man and a woman, they all say when you're talking to them about whatever it is, healthcare, foreign policy, the Chicago Cubs until this year, is it's way harder to govern than we ever thought. To a man and woman, including I am sure the president and the first lady themselves. And, and I think that that's what the Trump team is about to experience in real time. I think they will try to do many of the things that, that Howard has said, and that's their prerogative. It's reviewing 11th hour Obama administration actions is absolutely appropriate for the incoming administration. They're just gonna find, I predict, that it's way harder to govern than they even thought. Of course, of course they are. And that so much less of what was promised is going to get done anytime soon. And that's when the politics start getting really interesting again. Well, tomorrow is is uh, the main event, as they say. Speaking of main events, the Eagles and the Giants are not in the NFC uh, championship game. No. Uh, so I'm sorry to both of you. Uh, for that, but we do have two interesting football games. Let's. You guys are great at predicting. Tell me who's going to be in the Super Bowl. We got Packers Falcons. Matt Ryan, a Penn Charter grad, MVP this year, and 
my opinion. 33-2, just like the last time they played. I'm flipping Scott Walker's prediction. <laughs> Packers. They're hot. Steelers-Patriots, Mark, you're yeah. pick outside your... <laughs> Patriots, right. Patriots, Packers. You got to go. The with Super the Bowl Patriots. everybody wants. Yeah, you got to go yeah. with the. Uh, all right, well, guys, look, it's it, so we it, disagreed. Yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah, once again. Um, all right, well, um, I think that brings us to to the end of to the end of today's call. Um, thanks to everyone who has joined us. Certainly, comments, questions are always welcome. Presidential analysis at Cozen.com. Uh, this has been the Beltway Briefing, and we look forward to, uh, to our next call soon. Thanks for joining us.